Good morning once again. For those of you that may not have been in here when we got started today, my name is John. I'm the pastor here. And we had a fantastic weekend last uh, Sunday with Easter. It was just a, a great, great weekend for us. And then um, I know a lot of you had spring break this week. All right, I, was, I was not on spring break, but the rest of my family was on spring break, which made things really interesting. I had to constantly remind them that I was not on spring break. I like, wanted to go do things and everything. We went away for a night. So it was a, it was a great week between uh, we went away for a couple, uh, for one night, and then uh, my sister-in-law's family came in town, and they were here for a few days, and that was fun. And maybe the best thing that happened this week the NFL draft. <laughs> I, was, I was all in. You, y'all know I'm a big football fan. I'm a Bill, Buffalo Bills fan. I pity me now. And uh, we had a great draft. And I love the NFL draft. For those of you that aren't football people, football is a game where there's a field and then there's a ball and they throw it and then they run it around. And every year they have something called the draft. And the draft is when all of the rising seniors or, or players that aren't going to play in college anymore and they want to become professional football players, the, the NFL has set it up so that any, all the players or all the teams get to pick the players. So it's not just a free-for-all. And they go in order and they get to select the rights to the players that they want to have on their team. And it's very strategic and there's so much talk about it leading up to it and then so many surprises when the day comes. Because you get these picks and the worst teams get to pick first so they get the better players trying to make it fair for everybody. And the better teams pick last. And you can trade picks and move around and all this crazy stuff. It's, it's, it's like a game of chess. It's amazing. But the, the best part, there's all this lead up to the draft and everybody's talking about who's going to get picked and where and all this stuff. Finally, but the, the best part is the moment when it happens. It's the moment when all these players that they expect to be taken in the first round of the draft are sitting back in a green room and they're all waiting and they want to know whose name is going to be called. You know, who's going to go where? What team am I going to be on? These, these guys and their families are sitting back in the, in the draft room. They have no idea where they're going to spend the next 12, 15 years of their life. Because this is going to be their new home, it's going to be their new city, it's going to be their new team, it's going to become everything about their life. Every waking minute is going to be about this team. They don't even know where they're going to go. And so what happens is they start the draft clock, and in the first round, I think every team gets like eight minutes to, to pick in the first round, I think it is. And so they start the clock for the team, and the first team to pick this year was the Arizona Cardinals, because they're terrible. I mean, they're just really bad. And so they got to pick first. And um, it was, everyone kind of had an idea who was going to get picked. But the clock started for them. And then eventually, eventually it started ticking down. And they were taking a while, which was interesting. It was a little surprising they took as long as they did. But the clock was ticking down. And finally, the little graphic on the TV says, the pick is in. Which means they've, they've made their selection. They've communicated to the league officials. And they've told them which player that they want. And now you're like, your blood starts pumping. For those of you that, that have watched the draft or watched the draft like, like I do, it's really irritating because you get the graphic that says the pick is in. And then sometimes it's like three, four, five minutes until they actually come out and tell you what it is. And I was wondering this year, I'm, I'm excruciating under the suspense of that lag in time. And I was thinking, why is this taking so long? <laughs> why, if they've already made the pick, why can't they just walk up there, tell us who it is and be done with it? And the answer is there's a few things that they have to do first. So they, they call the player. That's pretty important. Like tell the player who a team he's going to be on before they stand on stage and tell everyone else. And I never thought about this logistic until this week when somebody brought it up on an on a, a, a ESPN or something. That they need time because when the player walks out on stage, they hand them a jersey that has, from that team which has the name on it, has their name on it. But the league doesn't know what team is going to pick what player before they walk out. 
So they need time to take that player's name and press it on the back of the jersey and so that they can take it out on stage with them. But that creates for me one of the most magical moments in all the draft. When the commissioner walks up and he stands behind the podium and everybody boos him because apparently nobody likes Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL. I know. I'm like, show some class, for goodness sakes. So he, so he walks out. Everybody's booing him. And uh, he says, with the first pick in the 2019 NFL draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Kyler Murray, quarterback, out of Oklahoma. And everybody goes nuts and everybody cheers and they show all the fans. And then Kyler, is, he's back in the green room and he's already been told that he's, he's going to play for the Cardinals now. And so he gets up and he walks through and the cameras are following him. And this is the greatest moment to me. He's walking down the tunnel and there's a representative for the Cardinals who hands him a hat. The Cardinals hat, the Arizona Cardinals hat. And he takes that hat and he puts it on. And it's that moment for me when they put that hat on their head. It's their first public identification personally with this new team. That's going to be their whole life. That's going to be their whole world. That's going to drag this, in this case, it's going to drag this franchise out of the doldrums into great success. Surely, maybe not. But, but when he puts that hat on, it's like he identifies. And, and you'll see this when... Um, when college or when high school players commit to a university, they'll be sitting behind a table and they'll be saying, you know, where is this person going to play college? Where are they going to commit to? And what do they do? They take a hat and they put on the hat. And they're identifying themselves now with this new school. And it's the weirdest thing. It's like a transformation takes place when you can see this player that you've identified, in this case, with the University of Oklahoma for so long. And now all of a sudden it's like he's a cardinal because he's wearing the hat. You know, there's, there's a transformation that takes place in that moment, and it's magical to me. And then they walk up on stage, and they hand them the jersey, and it gets even more real, and they hold the jersey up with their name in front of them. I'm a Bills fan, and as I've already said, and we have the ninth pick in the draft this year, and I can't believe the guy slid down to us. I think he was probably the fourth best player in the draft, but we ended up picking Ed Oliver, who's a defensive end out of the University of Houston. The guy's a monster. He's just a monster, and he's going to be great on the interior of our defensive line, but he went a step further. He not only put on the hat, he not only put on the jersey, he put on, check this out, the Zubas. <laughs> right up, right up over, right up over his pants, I think. And you can see the guys in the background are looking like, what are you doing, Ed? <laughs> and listen, if you want to play for the Bills, you got to be a fool. You're going to have to act a fool, and that's just all there is to it. I was really proud of him. It's a, it's a transformative moment. And I want you to know that in the life of a Christian, there's a transformative moment just like this that happens that we're celebrating today. It's, the, it's called the moment that we are baptized. It's the moment we put the hat on. It's the moment we put the jersey on. It's the moment that we say, I'm on a new team now. And it is an incredible, incredible moment. And I want to talk about why it's so powerful. We're going to see the greatest example of baptism. And it all starts with a guy, believe it or not, named John the Baptist. Right? John the Baptist. Now, I prefer not to call him that, only because in, in today's day and age, we have this denomination the Baptists, right? So if you say John the Baptist, you might get the, the idea that he was with that denomination or something. Obviously, he's not. I prefer, they didn't have that back then. I prefer to call him John the Baptizer. Because to me, that sounds a little like a superhero, you know? Like John the Baptist is coming to get you. He'll put you in the ground. Not the ground, right? <laughs> He'll put you down. You know, that's, that's John the Baptist. Because John, first of all, John is a man's man. He lived out in the wilderness. He camped. That's what he did. He, he made his own clothes out of camel hair. He wore a big old fat leather belt. John had an interesting diet. His favorite breakfast was fried grasshoppers. 
That was John. He was a survivalist, a man's man. He's just this bold guy that lived out in the desert. And not only that, he's Jesus' cousin. I'm thinking, if I were going to do a movie and I had to cast John the Baptist, I had to pick anybody to be him. Personally, I would pick Nick Offerman. Y'all know who he is? Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec? The guy with the mustache? No? He's brilliant. Listen, if, if I were to die and someone were to decide to do a, a, like a, bi- a documentary of my life, or like a, they wouldn't do that. But if they did, I beg of you, get Nick Offerman to do it. The guy, he's, his beard is like out to here now. It's amazing. It's epic. He's a woodworker. He's, a, he's hilarious on top of it. All right. Anyway, I, that's who I picture John the Baptizer as. And what John is doing is he's living out in the wilderness. He's hanging out around the Jordan River. And as he's, he's proclaiming, he's telling people, he's telling people the Messiah, the one that we've been looking for for thousands and thousands of years, the Savior of the world, he, he's here. And you need to prepare for him. You need to get your heart prepared for him. And so you need to repent. That's the word he uses, repent. And repent means to change your mind or change your direction. And so he's, he's in the wilderness. He's crying out, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Savior is here. The Messiah is here. And so people are coming down to John. He's at the river and he's baptizing people. And it's a baptism of repentance. So when people go down to the river and he takes them and he lowers them down into the water and raises them back out, it's a symbol that they're turning away from sin in their life. That they're turning, they're changing their direction. I'm not going to live for me and sin anymore. I'm going to live for God. They're preparing for this Messiah to come. And then one day, before Jesus has done anything noteworthy in the Bible whatsoever, he walks down to the river where John is. It's an incredible moment. All right, so let's read about it. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Just a few verses. I'm just going to read them, and then we'll go back and and work our way through them. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had, baptized, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So John is at the river baptizing people who are repenting of their sin or turning away from sin. And Jesus comes down to him to be baptized. And John, who knows Jesus, by the way, is his cousin, grew up with him. Now, they lived in different towns, so it's not like they were hanging out after school, but they spent a good bit of time together. John knows Jesus personally. He's not some stranger who walked up out of nowhere. He has, it's not like he has no background information on this guy who's coming to him at all. He knows Jesus. He's seen him at work. He's seen how he lived his life. He's seen how he's spoken and how he hasn't spoken. He saw how he treated his mama. He saw how he treated his brothers. And this Jesus, who he knows, grew up without any sin. He's seen it firsthand and experienced it, grew up without any sin, is walking down into the water to do a baptism of repentance. John's thinking, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense at all. What are you doing? You don't belong here. I belong here. You don't belong here. If anything, the role should be reversed. You should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. 
And I don't know if you've ever considered the contrast of that moment, but it's unbelievable. That Jesus, who is completely without sin, would walk down into the water where sinners are being baptized and repenting of their sin. Baptism is a symbolic act. There's nothing magical or mystical that happens. It's a symbolic act. And the people who were doing it then were were showing that they wanted to turn away from their sin. Jesus had no sin to turn away from. Jesus was not baptized because he had to repent. He he wasn't baptized because he, he needed to. He was baptized because he chose to. Because he knew it was the will of God for him to be baptized in the water by John. And when Jesus steps down into the water being completely without sin, amongst all these people that are full of sin, just like you and me, you're full of sin. He walked down into the water and he made a very provocative statement. A very important statement. And I want to give you two statements that his baptism made today. Just in their happening. The first one is that Jesus' baptism stated... I'm with them. Jesus' baptism stated, I'm with them. All right, John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. You're coming to me. And Jesus steps down into the water to be baptized, and he says, I'm with them. The scripture says that, that Jesus, he, uh, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That Jesus was humbling himself and coming to earth to live amongst us and to identify with us. The prophet Isaiah said that Jesus would be counted among the rebels. Even though he wasn't one, he would be counted among the rebels. That people would see him and associate with him with sinners. There were, Jesus was often associated with sinners. People say, what's wrong with Jesus? Why does he eat? Why does he party? Why does he, why does he do these kinds of things? He was accused of sinning even though he didn't. When he went down into the water, he identified with us. Jesus recognized the power of sin as he walked into the water and stood there among other sinners and was baptized. I know that there are a lot of people that think that they have to get things worked out before they get baptized, that somehow they need to be perfect. And maybe this is you. You feel like you need to be perfect before you get baptized. Well, Jesus was perfect before he was baptized. But nobody else there was. Nobody else was. I don't know who put the idea in our head that that we're supposed to be ready to be baptized. Because that's not a thing. Jesus didn't say that. The scripture doesn't say that. The only thing that you need in order to be ready to be baptized is the recognition of the fact that you're a sinner. That's all you need. And so if you feel unworthy to be baptized, you're actually the perfect candidate to be baptized. And say, I'm going, to make a, I'm, going to, I'm going to get down into the water and I'm going to be lowered under and I'm going to be raised back out. And I'm recognizing that I am a sinful person, but that I want to follow God. That I want to be new. That I want to be restored. That I want to be refreshed. John looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you shouldn't be in here. But in verse 15, Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he allowed him that's a really interesting phrase think about it for a second i wonder if john had to kind of ponder on it for a moment and try and figure out what jesus was saying 
we could look at this very simply and say what Jesus, what Jesus was saying. John was saying, hey, Jesus, I can't baptize you, man. You, you, you're, this is not for you. It's for me. And Jesus looks back and says, John, this is something I got to do. This is something I have to do in order to fulfill all righteousness. What this means, and, and you can read between the lines, is that it was the will of God for Jesus to be baptized by John in the Jordan. So if Jesus had not gone down to the Jordan to be baptized, and that was the will of God, Jesus would have sinned, right? So he had to do this. In order to be inside of the will of God, he knew that he was supposed to be baptized, even though he didn't have to under the baptism of repentance. He said, I got to do it, John, so let me do it. I want you to hear this clearly, that baptism is not required for salvation. Jesus didn't need to be saved. It was not required for salvation. But baptism is absolutely necessary for discipleship. See, salvation is a decision that we make by faith in Jesus Christ to believe that he died on the cross to pay for our sin and that he rose again. And then we begin this long journey of what we call discipleship, learning to become more and more like Jesus. And if faith is the first step on that journey, baptism should be the second. When we publicly say, I believe, I put the hat on, I'm, I'm on the team, I'm on a new team now. I've turned away from my sinful life and I've turned toward a life honoring to God. Salvation is a step, discipleship is a journey, faith is the first step, baptism is the second step. So Jesus says this needs to happen in order to fulfill all righteousness, in order for me to do everything that God wants me to do, I am supposed to be baptized. And I want you to hear, for you to do all the things that God wants you to, be, to, to, to do, you are supposed to be baptized as well. And when he was baptized, verse 16, when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Now, I do feel it's important to be clear here. It wasn't actually a dove, okay? The Holy Spirit is not a bird. He is a person and this was just the best way they knew how to describe what was being seen, okay? Like a dove alighting upon him. But it is in this moment that Jesus for the first time is publicly identified with his father. And that's why this has to come first in his journey and in his ministry. He is publicly identified with his father. Baptism is an act of public identification. Faith and salvation is a private decision that I make. It's an internal belief that I hold. But this is a public statement or declaration of our faith. So what we do uh, when, we, when we baptize someone is we lower them down into water. It just means to immerse. Kind of like if I were to take this nice, bright, white t-shirt and then immerse it in this. Get it down in there. Give it a minute. Now the word baptism comes from, I'm actually going to make this a little easier. making some of you uncomfortable. <laughs> All right. Of course, my hands are sweating a little bit. Those of you that are nurses and stuff, you know that doesn't work. But uh, 
when you immerse something. The, word, the, the Greek word that's used is the word baptizo. And it's, it's not just a word having to do with you know, religion or anything like that or any sort of like ceremony or practice. Um, the word baptizo just means to immerse something in uh, a liquid. So they would use it all over the place. You can find the word baptizo. My favorite is uh, they, ha- they use the word baptizo as unearthed on an ancient recipe for pickles. So you take the, uh, you take the cucumber and you baptizo it in the vinegar solution, you leave it there for some time, and when it comes out, it's pickle, right? So when we use the word baptism, that's what we're talking about, immersing in. Now, other, uh, other denominations, other faiths, uh, they will baptize different ways by sprinkling or there's lots of things out there. I don't know. You could use, I don't know, you could use a slip and slide, I guess, with like an alligator at the end that you ran into. But when we baptize someone, we choose to do it by immersion, by actually lowering them under the water and then raising them back out. Because first of all, as far as we can tell, that's exactly how Jesus was baptized. That's the way they would have done it at that time. And as far as we can tell, every baptism in the Bible was done that way. So if we can do it that way, we should probably do it the same way. And um, because we also believe that it's the best picture of what we're symbolizing. Baptism is a symbol of our, our new life in Christ. So we symbolize his death by being put under the water. We believe that. And we, and we recognize his resurrection by being raised out. And so it's a public statement that I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and that he rose again, that he paid for my sin and that he conquered sin. And it's also a symbol of our new life, that the old me is dying and the new me is coming. It's not the same as what John was doing. Jesus came and brought a new meaning through his death and resurrection. All right, but it is to baptize or it is to immerse in. Um, funny story, when uh, the church that I was serving with before this is called The Cove. It's out of Mooresville, um, North Carolina. And um, when I was serving at The Cove, we had uh, locations, campuses all over the world. And so one of them was in South Africa. And at our uh, South Africa campus, they had never done a baptism service before because they didn't have access to enough water. You know, that's something we take for granted here. They didn't have enough clean water to baptize people in. And so we decided that we wanted them to have their very first baptism service. So we sent a team over to South Africa and they trucked in water, this giant tanker of water. And they built a, they built a big, uh, like big swimming pool, basically filled it up with crystal clear, beautiful, clean water. And they got in to baptize. And Pastor Alton, who was, who was the pastor there, um, he got in, they explained the whole thing. He'd never done it before. So they explained the whole thing to him. He got into the tank with the first person and he said, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism. And he took that guy and he went, bam, <laughs> face first. <laughs> he, he had no idea, just slammed him face first. And the whole team was like, whoa, 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 no, 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 backwards, backwards is better. <laughs> so anyway, that's, you, you do it, hey, it works. I mean, he's just as baptized going forward as backward, I'm just saying, but um, the point is the symbol that we are, it's the statement that we're making. It's the declaration. And something really incredible happens when you immerse something in something else. Another place you might find the word baptizo in ancient history and culture is in the dyeing process of fabrics. They would take a piece of cloth and they would immerse it in the dye. And then when they pulled it back out, the fabric was now fully completely identified with the dye. That's not coming out. (laughs) And that's what happens when we're baptized. 
when we're lowered under the water and raised back out, we are now identified with God. We are identified with our Savior, Jesus Christ, just as that shirt is now fully identified with that, that die, not to be separated again. It is an amazing, amazing moment. So when Jesus is baptized, not only does his baptism state that I'm with them, you know, I'm here with them, but more importantly, Jesus' baptism stated, I'm with him. This is my father. This is who I am. We sang that earlier in the music set, didn't we? I am who you say I am. And when we're baptized, we're publicly saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm following him. I'm following my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life over to God. And I may not have many things worked out yet. I may not have anything worked out. The only thing I may have worked out at this point is that I'm with him. And then he's got a lot of other stuff he's going to do in my life. But I'm making a statement that I'm with him. And I'll tell you, there's nothing magical that happens when you're baptized. There's, it's, it's the, the water is not holy or blessed or anything. It's just It's water, okay? But I will tell you from my personal experience and from everybody I have ever talked to who's been baptized, something happens that you can't quite put your finger on. There's somehow that you, after you're baptized, you feel differently. It's almost like, the best way I know to describe it, it's almost like there's a weight off of your shoulders. And I believe in a very real way that's true. Because it is God's will for every believer to be baptized. And so if I'm a follower of him and I've not yet done that, I am at least in part outside of his will by not being faithful and obedient to be baptized. And so that's a weight that sits on my shoulder. It's a disconnect that's happening between me and God. And when I finally take the step of faith and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to be baptized. There's a weight that's lifted off your shoulder. There's a connection that's made with God that wasn't there before. And so if you have, if you've accepted Christ recently, like within the last few weeks or within the last couple of months, and you haven't been baptized, that's absolutely the next thing for you to do. If, if you accepted Christ a long time ago and you've never done it for one reason or another, maybe you're worried about getting your hair wet. Jesus had long hair. You've seen the pictures. He didn't care. He, he probably didn't actually have long hair, but that's another story. Right? He wasn't worried about how he looked when he was wet. You know, whatever reason you might have had for not being baptized, stop, just don't put it aside. It's an excuse. Just, just don't worry about it. And make the decision to be baptized. For your benefit. For the closeness and the fellowship that you have with God. Look at what happened. Um, Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit then uh, descends upon him like a dove. This is a test of our obedience. Okay, And then verse 17 it says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's like Jesus by his baptism was saying, I'm with him. And then God looks down and goes, I'm with you too. It's, this, is, this is fellowship. This is closeness. This is relationship. It's identity. And it all happens, it's all initiated here for Jesus at his baptism. And I want that for you if you've never been baptized. And if you have been baptized, I want you to draw your mind and your heart back to that moment and appreciate that moment where you took a step of faith, you took a step of obedience and you said yes. 
and what that felt like and, and maybe where you're, where you're mind was at the moment, where your heart was at the moment, because I know sometimes we drift from that place where we felt like right then we were so on fire for God and we were so passionate for, for him and we wanted to follow him so closely and we've, we've meandered a bit over time. And I want to draw you back to that moment if you have been baptized before. I believe that baptism is the most important step you will ever take in your fellowship with God next to accepting him as your savior for the first time. So I want to encourage you to make it official. If you like it, put a ring on it. Okay? Put the Zubaz on. Put the hat on. And say, I'm a believer. And we're doing, we're doing baptism after the service today. So if you want to be a part of that, you can. We're going to head to the, we're going to tear everything down here. And then we're going to go to the Ebersolt's house. And we're going to have a baptism service. If you want to get baptized today, you can. You don't have to do it today. If you want to call me on Tuesday to be baptized, we'll go do it. We'll find a place and we will do it. We'll get some people there. And we'll baptize you anytime, anytime that you want to be baptized, as soon as possible. We want to do that for you so that you can grow in your relationship with him. And Jesus' baptism was the initiating point for his entire ministry. It was after his baptism that he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he, he withstood those temptations. And then he went on to teach and he went on to heal and he went on to change the world. But the first public moment was right here at his baptism. A moment when he gave himself over to the ministry of the Lord. And our baptism is when we do the same. I want to encourage you to live life in the open. To live free. And to live in fellowship with God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your love and for your guidance and for your kindness. I thank you right now for the gift that your son gave us on the cross. Sacrificing himself for us. There may be someone here today who accepts you for the very first time. They, they never believed it before, but today you just, you touched their heart and you said it's true. Jesus Christ gave his life, a, a sinless life on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And he did that for me and he did it for every single person who's sitting in this room. And that today, maybe for someone here for the first time, you're touching their heart and saying that's for you. That's for you. And so I pray, God, that in this moment they would give their belief. They would express their faith. Just say, God, I believe. I believe, Christ, that you died on the cross for me, and I believe that you rose again. And God, when we put our faith in you, you have so much in store for us. You have so much planned for us, a relationship with you now and forever. The first thing you want us to do is to let the world know, to make a public declaration, a public statement, to say, yes, I'm a sinner, but God, I'm with you. I'm with Christ. And you gave us a way to do that through baptism. So I ask you, God, that today, for anybody who hasn't made that decision, you would give them the boldness to do it, to take a next step and to say, yes, I want to be baptized. That all of us together as a family, we could walk in openness and honesty with you. Nothing holding us back from our relationship with each other. Nothing holding us back in our relationship with you. And that we could step forward in ministry the same way that Christ did. As we make decisions on giving you our life today and following you as closely as we can, I ask God that you would bless each and every person here and the commitment they make. It's in your name we pray.